Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. When I was about 16, I discovered Alexandra David Neal's book, which is called My Journey to Laza. And it's an amazing book. It kind of recounts the last six months of a 14-year journey she took to get into Laza, that was the capital of Tibet. And, you know, this was like 14 years of hardship of like disguising herself as a man, doing all this just to get into Laza because she wanted to find out more about Buddhism. Because back then, obviously, there's no internet. You can't get, you have to actually go and find it yourself. So I remember reading that when I was 16 thinking, wow, that's pretty amazing. That was Elise Wortley, today's guest, sharing a moment that unknowingly at the time would change her life forever. Years later, she never forgot that book, and she ended up taking off to India to follow in the author's footsteps using only the items that would have been available during the original journey. Yes, she was wearing a yak wool coat, carrying a wooden backpack that she made. You're going to hear all about it today. Since then, she has, over the past five years, made multiple other adventures around the world to continue to bring to life some incredible stories of history's forgotten female adventurers by reliving them using only what was available to them during their time period. It is quite a story, and she's also formed an organization around these quests that supports local female adventure guides and raises money for them. It's called Woman with Altitude. So you're going to hear a lot of epic stories from her travels today. She describes exactly what it's like to travel without modern luxuries, important lessons she's learned from these journeys, actions she took to start her first trip, and how she went from sleepwalking through life to choosing adventure and finding her purpose. So much more. You're not going to want to miss it. Plus, I'm going to answer a listener question on how to break down a 10-day trip with a few general tips that might help you think about how you're going to break down your next trip. Plus, I'm going to share one big takeaway I had from this conversation that will make your next trip totally unique if you choose to uh, accept the challenge. So let's get it going. It's all happening right now. Buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. 
Hey, what's up? It's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. So inspired by today's guest. I love when people not only create their own path, they bushwhack it, right? They're just like, uh, you know what? I'm just going to do this thing and let's see where it takes me. Come along for the ride. That's the case with today's guest who shares some stories from her adventures, which have included following in the footsteps of Nan Shepherd in the Cairngorm Mountains of Scotland. She followed in the footsteps of Jane Inglis Clark in West Scotland and Freya Stark into the Valley of the Assassins in Iran. I mean, yeah, you're like, wait, should I just go get some wine and cheese in Paris and have a relaxing vacation? Or should I travel into the Valley of the Assassins in Iran using the same gear that they did in the 1920s? I mean, (laughs) clearly, Valley of the Assassins wins out, at least for for Elise. And that's what I love about uh, this conversation because she has got a really unique take on not only travel, but... By doing it in this way, by using only the gear that was available to these explorers at the time and and walking in their footsteps and and bringing back the history, bringing it to life through these modern day journeys without the modern day conveniences, this is just a powerful way to keep history alive, to give some of these past explorers the recognition they deserve. And stories are important. Stories matter. History matters. And there's a big slice of travel history you're going to get today through this conversation. You know, Freya Stark, if you check her out, I'll link to her Wikipedia page. Quote, by 1931, she had completed three dangerous treks into the wilderness of western Iran, parts of which no Westerner had ever visited and had located the long-fabled Valley of the Assassins. And you can imagine what some of the many challenges were in that time period for her. We'll get into that today. And we'll also get into what it was like to wear the the travel gear from that era. Stick around on the back end after the interview. I'm going to share a voicemail I got from a listener who is taking a 10-day trip, is wondering how to break it up. And I have some overarching tips I want to share in regards to how to break up a 10-day trip. I feel like that's a pretty common amount of time to go away if you have your sort of traditional two or three weeks off. 10 days is solid. You can get a lot done in 10 days, but how much do you want to get done? That's the question. We'll uh, share some thoughts on that. Plus, my big takeaway from this episode has to do with mathematics and travel. little teaser there for you. Stick around for all that. Of course, I'll send you off with a quote as well. Now, without further ado, please enjoy listening in on my chat with Elise Wortley, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. Um, sorry, you know what? I uh, just realized because I'm not used to doing this on Zoom, I forgot to change my mic settings. I should be going through my mic now. Does it sound different? That sounds better, yeah. Yes. Yeah, different. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, but this guy's supposed to be a professional podcaster. No, and, uh... I mean, I should have better stuff as well. <laughs> I need to get a microphone, really. I've been saying that for about a year now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're used to kind of operating without all the technological bells and yeah. whistles, right? I mean, we'll we'll exactly. talk about that later. Um, <laughs> what was the name of the village that you essentially grew up in? Uh, it's called Boxford. Boxford. Okay. Yeah. Uh, near Essex. What's the vibe there? It's very quiet. Very quiet. Yeah. Lots of um, trees, lots of fields. It's nice. I like going back there. I'm getting to that point now in London where I think I need to go and yeah, be in somewhere a bit greener at some point soon or go near the coast. I love to surf. So I'm just getting to that point now. I'm like, I think I'd rather just be by the sea. <laughs> There's a bit of surfing in England, right? I mean, cold, oh yeah, yeah. It's cold. amazing. Yeah. In Cornwall and like Devon. But the thing is, it's so far from where I am. It's like a six hour drive, which is doable, but you, you can't do it all the time. Um, so yeah, maybe soon I'll move nearer. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I kind of wanted to get a sense of, you know, what it was like where you grew up because it's got to be part of the genesis of everything that you're doing now in some ways, right? Our childhood, uh, plays into some of these things that we end up doing. I mean, well, let me just give you a short introduction really quick. I'm on with Elise Wortley, who is an adventurer bringing to life the incredible stories of history's forgotten female adventurers by literally walking in their footsteps using only what was available to them at the time. Okay, that's like a nice little snappy sentence, but we're going to dig into what the reality of that is and what that actually means. And I really highly encourage you to check out womanwithaltitude.com. Of course, we'll link to that in the show notes. And please check that out because as part of this, uh, you're raising money for women's charities, supporting local female adventure guides, and doing some incredible things. So anyway, Elise, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast officially. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's wonderful. You know, some years ago, I did a whole series uh, called Inspiring Female Adventurers, and could definitely add you into the mix on that. I have to kind of bring that up because when I was Googling some of the British explorers, it seems like there's a pretty big tradition in England around exploration. Anyway, I found this list of like a hundred explorers and wouldn't you know, 94 of them were white guys and yeah. there were six women on that list. So I'm like, what is up with that? Like, why is it that way? Why don't women adventurers seem to get the notoriety that they deserve? Yeah, I'm not surprised. And actually, as I've got deeper and deeper into this project, that's become one of the things I'm really like looking at. It's like, why are these women not on the lists? And actually, there was loads of them. I mean, I've got a spreadsheet now of 150 women who did incredible like adventures. You know, some of the first time people had sort of done these things, climbed these mountains. But I think back then, so I'm thinking sort of 1800s, like early 1900s, they just weren't taking us seriously. And a lot of them wrote incredible books about their adventures and they were just never published the same to the same degree that the men's were. So I think it's just from that, you know, it just kind of, they were never really celebrated at the time. So then it just carries on like that through history and they sort of get missed out of the history books. And even things like most journalists back in the day were men. So they're only, you know, they'd write about other men and they'd miss out the women. So 
it's been fascinating looking into all these women's lives and seeing, you know, where actually they were kind of forgotten. Um, and the further you go back, so there's a pirate queen that I've been looking at recently from the 1500s who is sort of really badass. Like she was so cool. And the monks actually tried to write her completely out of history. So it's so interesting, you know, when you go back and look. Um, but yeah, still today, it's kind of similar. Um, and in the space as well, in the sort of modern day space, if you think of famous adventurers like on TV, it's still really male dominated. So it's something that I'm kind of trying to change and trying to look at. And yeah, I guess just celebrate these women that lots of people don't know about. Yeah, I, I know you have a bit of, or at least you did work in PR for a stint. Is that right? Yeah, so I've always worked in travel. Um, and yes, yeah, so I do the PR for like a few different travel companies as my sort of other job as well. What you're describing, some of this is almost like it's it's narrative and it's a lack of sort of PR, you know, and, and the just mass media at the time was not facilitating the press for these publications. And I'm just curious, like, how do you... How do you find these books now and how do you conduct your research to put together a spreadsheet like the 150 female explorers that you have right now? <laughs> so it's really interesting that I actually have to go back to sort of old school ways because a lot of the time if you Google these women, there's there's really not much about them. I mean, there's some that are more famous than others, like Freya Stark, the one who I just followed in her footsteps and Alexandra David Neal. They are slightly more famous because they actually influenced a lot of people with their writing um, and things. But then there's a lot of them who just, yeah, just really aren't anywhere on the internet. So you really have to go back to books. And then the problem with their books is that they were trying to show that they were sort of, you know, as tough as the guys. And so they miss out a lot of stuff in the books, like how they really felt, you know, real details about what they were wearing, how they would have really dealt with being a woman at the time. So Actually, I found that their letters and the letters they write to friends and families, that's where you get the sort of really super detail about how they were actually feeling and what was actually going on. So, yeah, it's just a lot of sort of research, digging and going back to sort of books. And a lot of them have books published. Um, it's just finding them because they're obviously not they didn't publish that many. So I've actually sort of got a nice little collection now of these really old books that you know, I've written in sort of really old English. So they're actually quite hard to read, but that's kind of how I do it. Um, yeah. So mainly offline research. Wow. So like libraries and rare bookstores yeah. and things like that. I mean, London, yeah, I imagine absolutely. that's a pretty good place to find some treasure troves in terms of like old older books. That can yeah. And there's there. actually, um, yeah, I've learned so much through this project. There's actually loads of websites that have sort of first editions and things like that. And all these really rare books that you can, you can find. So I kind of find the book online and then I order it and then I have to read the book. Um, so it's a bit of both, but yeah. But it's interesting that the letters, I mean, that makes sense, you know, I guess at the time, or we're talking about some of the female adventures in like the 17, 1800s, you know, just trying to fit in with what was acceptable at the time. And it sounds like at that time, it was more about, let's use a Spanish word like machismo in some ways, <laughs> right? Not 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 yeah. necessarily, like you said, about your feelings, but about the accomplishments and, you know, trying to hide the, maybe some of the struggles, but then the letters yeah, sounds like absolutely. really reveal. I mean, this is a, you're, you're traveling in, in the age where you can hop right on and share everything. And, and get it out to a mass audience. So it's almost the polar opposite 
in some ways, right? Yeah, yeah. Although I, when I do the actual trips, I obviously I only have what they took at the time. So I don't have my phone. I don't have anything like that. So when I actually do the trips, I'm not. But then, yeah, you're right. Afterwards, obviously, that's when I do the Instagram and the blog and like send the pictures out to the press and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I guess it's kind of using platforms we have now that they didn't have at the time, I guess, to sort of celebrate them and share their story. Um, And actually, quite a lot of them got famous, more famous after they died. So um, I know Alexandra David Neal, she ended up really influencing like the beat generation of writers and people like that. So, yeah, it is interesting how they kind of go through, you know, stages after they've died. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's fascinating. And I know you've shared this before, but just to give everybody some context around sort of growing up and how you discovered your passion for what it is that you're you're doing right now with your life. And, and then we can talk about some of the trips you've taken and then really get into the gear and, and what, what it means to be out there in this way and, and more of the history. But I read that you had some struggles with anxiety at, at some time. And, and then also when you were a bit younger, you had discovered some female adventures. Like, can you just kind of give us the, the background story and what you think led up to this point? Yeah, absolutely. So I think well, I was born in in London, but my parents moved out when I was quite young, sort of the countryside. So kind of like rolling green hills, really small village. Um, and that's actually when I was about 16, I discovered Alexandra David Neal's book, which is called My Journey to Laza. And it's an amazing book. It kind of recounts the last six months of a 14-year journey she took to get into Laza, that was the capital of Tibet. And you know, this was like 14 years of hardship of like disguising herself as a man doing all this just to get into Laza because she wanted to find out more about Buddhism because back then obviously there's no internet you can't get you have to actually go and find it yourself so I remember reading that when I was 16 thinking wow that's pretty amazing um did somebody give you that book or did you just come across it I came across it so I think I read about it in there was a, I did an art degree. So I, I think I was sort of reading all these art magazines and it was someone, I can't remember who had like recommended it as quite an inspiring book. And I remember just seeing this little like snippet of it. And I was like, I really need to get that book. Um, and yeah, and then I got it and it's really, it's quite amazing. Like what she actually managed to achieve. Um, and I was like, why did I not learn about her at school? Like, why do I not know of this woman? and other women like her. Um, and then I kind of forgot about the book and my life sort of went on and actually moved back to London. It was like 11 or 12 years ago now. And um, I think when I moved back to London and sort of, you know, you start adult life and things got really real, I just I just started getting these really bad panic attacks, like really, really bad. Like I had to stop going to work. Um, like I'm still on medication for it now. It just really sort of my entire 20s were really sort of taken over by that and kind of trying to get through that. And then it was then I kind of thought, oh, I'll just reread that book because it's quite inspiring. And yeah, and then I thought, you know, if I ever start feeling better, maybe I should sort of act on that idea I had when I was younger of maybe following in her footsteps. And then I just thought, you know, I'll do it because it's nice to share her story and no one knows who she is. And then I thought, well, I could do it in the old stuff to kind of really show I guess, how tough it would have been back then for women, because obviously not only were they dealing with traveling as a woman back then, which you can only imagine the amount of attention they would have got and people telling them not to do things. Um, But they also had, you know, none of the modern gear that we have now. 
Um, so yeah, so I sort of, I went on my medication, I started feeling better. And that was when I thought, actually, if I kind of focus on this, this is a really good thing to kind of focus on. So I managed to raise some money and then, yeah, before I knew it, I was kind of on a plane <laughs> to India, um, to follow in her footsteps and everyone was like super encouraging about it. Everyone was so interested in it. Um, and then when I came back and I sort of shared the story, that's when it all started to grow. And I realized that, yeah, people are really interested in these women because no one's really heard of them. Um, and it is really inspiring sort of reading stories by women like that who did these things back when they really weren't supposed to be doing it. Um, so, yeah, that's I guess that's kind of how it's all sort of taken off and how it started. Yeah. It sounds like once you kind of came up with the idea, you were just off and running with it in many ways. Did you see that as a path to like freeing you from sort of this regular life of the sort of the regular job and commuting and the nine, you know, the Monday through Friday thing and all that? In a way, I think so. I think I, you know, I, I think in London, people work so hard in the week and then the weekend comes, everyone kind of gets wasted, goes out. Like that's just how people, a lot of people live their life in London. And I find it, it's funny, very monotonous, you know, and I think that's what was playing into the anxiety as well. Not really feeling like I belonged in that world. And I mean, I've still got like a normal job now that I do part-time, but this was just that thing to focus on. And to be honest, I thought, oh, when I do that first trip, you know, I'll have achieved so much. I'll probably feel a lot better in myself and like my panic attacks will go. And it didn't work out that way. I remember coming back from that trip and actually feeling worse. <laughs> and I think it was just getting back to London being like, well, that's over now. And now I just have to go back to work and um, it's actually taken four years, really, I think, for this project to really sort of have an effect on me and sort of make me more confident. And yeah, and I'm definitely different person to when I started it. Um, but yeah, the dream would be to yeah just do this. And I think you're right. I think it's me trying to, a bit like the women from the past, it's me trying to live life a different way, um, I suppose. It's a bit like therapy, this. It's <laughs> 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 great. <laughs> I mean, it's all tied in, right? Like, it, that's what's nice about sharing conversations like this because we get beyond the service level. I mean, I think everybody's found themselves in a point where, I don't know. I mean, maybe not everybody. I, I felt the same way at times in my life where it was just like, hey, I don't feel like, you know, like you said, the the mundane aspects of sort of like, doing this all week and partying on the weekend or whatever. And it's just like, I don't feel like this. I, I feel like this is kind of sleepwalking through life in some ways as how I felt for, for me at, at certain times. And, you know, you still have to kind of explore your curiosity and find something else to put your energy into and kind of discover that next path that, that maybe looks different than the one that you're on if you're not feeling fulfilled. And that's, it's not always an easy thing to do no and it's finding that I think that's you know it's really hard to find something that you know gives you that purpose and sort of yeah has that effect on you and so I'm just really happy I found this because I don't really know what I'd be doing if I hadn't um and it's really has become like my passion like I'm so passionate about it and yeah I'm just really grateful that that I found it because it is hard it's really hard um to sort of find that thing We'll be back right after this. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway. 
not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Let's get back to the show. I got to give you some credit here because you found it, but you also created it, right? You came up with this mm. idea and this sort of <laughs> framework for your travels and it's interesting because, as you probably know, the more you've kind of dove into this uh, world of adventures, I mean, there is a sort of a whole almost industry of of adventures, right? Like you you go on an adventure and then you write a book and you speak about it and things like that. And it is possible to like craft a career around adventuring, but like everything I hear from you, it sounds like it just it just all happened very organically and and purely based on your your interest and your sort of your passion to bring these stories back to life i mean is that if you're going to say the 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 passion aspect or the thing that keeps you going is that the the real driving force is it bringing these stories back from from the past essentially i think so yeah and it's also i think like people's reactions when i sort of tell them about these women as well it's like god that's so inspiring and Actually, a lot of people who've said, oh, you know, I've gone and read her book and it made me go for a walk or it made me, you know, change my life in some way. And it's kind of about that. Just I guess maybe I want other people to be as inspired as I am by these women. Um, But yeah, yeah, it's um, definitely part of it. I am inspired by what you're doing because the the purpose behind bringing the stories back to life and how you're doing it is to me, it takes a lot of the sort of the ego part out of, you know, I'm going to conquer the world. It's like, (laughs) 
No, you're putting on like a yak coat and, <laughs> you know, but I think like because you walk the walk, because you're actually out there doing it in the old gear and, and you can come back and speak to these things that that's that's where the power is, right? Because you could go and you could do all this research and be an academic and talk about these things. And then you could spread the word and bring these stories back to life. But to me, it's not, it wouldn't be in the same way. It's way more powerful for uh, for you to step into a room and say, yes, like this is what this woman did. And I lived through this and here's mm. what it was like, you know, at least in, in the modern day, as close as I could get to that experience. And that's a, uh, that's really powerful. And yeah, the funny thing is that I don't know what I'm doing half the time. <laughs> like, I do like take the piss out myself a lot and that kind of thing, because you never know what it's going to be like, you know, walking in those old boots or with the wooden backpack and stuff. And that's the fun aspect of it is that it's not serious. You know, I'm not trying to conquer mountains or like be the best at anything. It is just kind of showing, you know, what these women went through. And a lot of the ones I follow, you know, I make sure that I only follow in the footsteps of women that were kind of gentle in the way they traveled and they really sort of integrated themselves with the communities they met. I mean, some stayed there for years, you know, with and that was really rare at the time, especially with sort of male explorers who just wanted to conquer or just wanted to get to the top of the mountain and that kind of thing. So I think that comes from the women as well, you know, the way I'm doing it in the more sort of gentle, you know, I don't have to be the best at it. And I'll say, you know, like, if I'm really, when I was in the Himalayas, it was minus 15 one night, you know, I couldn't stay in those blankets. I had to snuggle in with Emily who was filming it. And that's just part of it showing, you know, like I could not survive that night. So I don't know how those women did it back then. Um, so I'm very open about that part of it. You know, if I'm struggling, um, showing all that, because that's just part of it, you know. Well, can you give us a little bit of a breakdown of the adventures you've gone on so everybody can yeah just paint a sort of the overview picture on some of the things that you've undertaken and what it, what they looked like and then we can dive a little deeper into I think maybe your most recent one because that was that's probably the freshest right mm. <laughs> yeah so the first one um was the Alexandre David Neal one so it's like well, could I do the 14 year journey probably not so I'll just go <laughs> to the very beginning so this was when she so she became obsessed with Tibet which was basically really hard to get into it's a little bit like it is now you know it's really close off really secretive um yeah so she sort of went up this there's a bit of India called Sikkim which is right at the top it's like a tiny little bit it used to actually be its own country and its own kingdom till quite late till like the 70s or something um, and it's basically bordered by China and Tibet, um, Nepal and Bhutan. So there's a big sort of army presence because it's such a small little bit of land with all these all these countries bordering it. So it's a really fascinating place. And yeah, we basically retraced her footsteps sort of up to Mount Kanchenjunga, which is the third highest peak in the world. And it's kind of just in that bit there of Sikkim. Um, and that's where she got her first views of Tibet and sort of became obsessed with getting into this, this magical world. Um, so yeah, that we kind of retraced her steps on that one. So that was the first one. And then I've done two in Scotland, actually. So one was Nan Shepherd, who wrote this book called The Living Mountain, which was the first book really about mountaineering that wasn't about getting to the top. It was about sort of experiencing the mountain as a whole. Um, so that was the second one. That was kind of me just alone for a month in Scotland, um, just following her book around and like going to all the places that she talks about. And then, yeah, the most recent ones were Iran, 
where we did Freya Stark. So we went to the Valley of the Assassins, which is her sort of famous book um, that she wrote about her journeys there. And she sort of mapped the area for the first time um, for the Royal Geographical Society. Um, so that was that one. And then, yeah, then we did another Scotland one, which was following the footsteps of Jane Clark, who was sort of one of the first women to climb a lot of the mountains in Scotland. Um, in like 1908, she set up the Women's Climbing Club because she wasn't allowed in the men's. <laughs> so she was like, oh, I'll just set my own one up. Then. I love that. And that's still going today. Yeah. That's brilliant. Um, so yeah, so they're the ones we've done so far, but I think yeah. that's a great <laughs> piece of advice. You know, if the thing doesn't exist, just start it. Yeah. yeah Chances exactly. are there's uh, there are other people out there that want to do it too, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so can you give everybody a sense of some of the things you were wearing and the gear mm. you were carrying? Because you don't carry any modern gear and if you guys want to get a sense of the reality of that like i watched the reel you put on instagram um, (laughs) where you i think a lot of it took place in india and you were wearing you know the old equipment the female adventures wore back then and there were there was a lot of falling down (laughs) and slips there's a lot of slipping there's a lot of like pulling the big dress up and you know i mean this is this is no joke so can you just like (laughs) paint the picture of what you're wearing in some of these adventures So what I do is I find a picture of them and I read through all their books. And again, they don't really talk that much about what they were because, you know, they want to get to the point of what they were doing. But so, yeah, it's like yak wool coats, sort of old boots that the ones I wore recently in Scotland were Edwardian heeled boots. And it's all that women wore back then. Where do you find that stuff? It's hard. So basically anything after 1940 is easy because there's a lot of sort of old war stuff around, like people still have stuff in them. But before 1940, it gets super difficult. Um, So a lot of eBay, I found um, there was a vintage shop and he actually had a Burberry jacket that was from the late 1920s, which was exactly the same as what Freya Stark had. But it took me months and months to find it. Um, so this lovely guy, Jojo, like dug it out of his archive and let me buy it off him. Um, and it had like a matching hat and it was amazing. It was exactly what she had. So you can find them, but yeah, it takes a while. And things like the wooden backpack, I just made that myself sort of out of an old chair that I found on the street. Um, and then obviously has rope instead of normal sort of things that hold a backpack on. So yeah, it's a lot of sort of... Googling, shopping around, seeing what I can find, um, going to like vintage sort of antique shops. Because then obviously there's like the sunglasses, things like that. They will have to be from the period. Um, But I think if I ever do anything a bit earlier, sort of 1500s, I'll just have to get it all made because obviously that won't still be around. But um, you can get pretty good replica stuff as well. But yeah, um, it is tough going in the old stuff, like sort of itchy wool lots of itching um and yeah lots of slipping over um in the old shoes <laughs> i'm just imagining you for example out in scotland walking in these old clothes and then inevitably maybe walking through a town or down a highway or something to another mountain and the conversations that must be happening i mean what's it like on the ground how do you feel Clothing can make you feel a certain way, right? Like you get dressed up to go out and it can change sort of the way you're feeling. Like, does it do any of that for you? When I first put them on, 
like I think I feel really awkward. I feel like I don't want people to look at me. I don't want I I especially when I was in like Indian stuff, I was like, I don't want people to think I'm like taking the piss out of anyone or any of this sort of thing. And um yeah, it's fine. After like a couple of hours, I'm like, oh, this is fine. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um but actually in India and Iran, like no one even bats an eyelid. They just think you're doing whatever. Um it was in Scotland, it was quite funny because a lot of the mountains, obviously, lots of people climb. And there's one that I climbed called Ben Nevis, which was Jane Clark's sort of famous for being the first woman to climb that mountain. And it's part of this thing called the Three Peaks Challenge. So a lot of people climb it for charity. So actually, there's a huge stream of people going up and up and down. And yeah, there's me and all this tweed. And yeah, I, I had to stop pretty much every five minutes and explain what I was doing. Um, but yeah, generally on, in the more quiet places, people just sort of say morning and yeah. sort of get on with it um, and just think, oh, that person's a bit odd. But yeah, so it is it is interesting. But after a day of being in it, you just kind of forget um, okay. yeah. that, you know, I forget to feel self-conscious about it, I suppose. Hmm. And uh, you're just like, let me get to the top of this mountain already. People, yeah. stop bugging <laughs> me. We've talked a lot about the the things that you have, right? Like you're wearing all the old clothes and you you built the the backpack out of the wooden chair you found in London. So cool. I want to talk a little bit about the things you don't have because that's a big part of what defines these trips as well, which is things like uh, if you're going on a out into the wilderness satellite phones or smartphone, which is a the most common and probably useful tool that the modern day traveler or adventurer can carry. You got the GPS with you and all the stuff, right? You don't you don't have any technology. So I'm just wondering what that experience traveling without technology has been like for you. Yeah. So it's a bit different because I always have a sort of group of people with me. So I always take like an all-female team. So like we mentioned earlier, I have like a female guide. So um, in Iran, she was called Nadia and she was from Intrepid Travel and she was absolutely brilliant. And um, so those people around me sort of have, I guess in my head, it's like the safety net, you know, so they have a phone, they have, you know, not everyone does it in the old stuff. It's just me. Um, but then there's times like in Scotland where I was on my own and I didn't really have anything. Um, and yeah, it's kind of like the first couple of days you think, oh, something went wrong. This isn't great. But, you know, you kind of then just get used to the fact that you don't have it. Um, but in terms of, for me, what really stands out is not having that phone. So I think I remember, I mean, obviously these trips have been big moments in my life, but I actually think I remember them a lot more clearly because I'm not always going for the phone to take a picture so like, you know, I, the first few days I do it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to take a picture of that on my phone. And then I'm like, oh no, I don't have it. Um, so in the end you end up sort of taking things in, I think a lot better because you're just looking at it rather than, you know, fumbling around for the phone to get this shot and whatever. So it swings and roundabouts, I suppose. Cause yeah, in a safety aspect when I'm on my own, it's not that safe, but this is what these women would have done. You know, they didn't have phones back then. They literally just had letters to write. So it was almost really putting yourself in that spot. But like I said, usually I have a team of like brilliant women around me who are all in sort of modern stuff. So sometimes, which is good, sometimes bad, because I look at how comfortable they are in their walking shoes. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'll give me two of those. Um, 
but yeah, from a safety aspect, usually there's someone, someone with me. Yeah. So it's not too much of a worry. Um, but yeah. Has, uh, has going on these trips changed your relationship with technology when you come back to the city? Yeah. hundred percent. In, in what way? I just like to leave my phone in a drawer now yeah. and not reply to anyone. <laughs> so I just, I don't know. I do get quite addicted to my phone sometimes, but I'm quite good now just being like, no, because I really do feel the benefit when it's not, you know, I always have it on silent mode. I kind of, I don't like it when it buzzes and then it's sort of in control of me. So that's definitely changed since I've done these trips and also just the amount of time you have when you're not on your phone. So I obviously write a lot when I'm on the trips and, you know, when you sit around to have dinner and everyone else is sort of on their phone and you're just sat there like, hmm, can think about something else or do something else. And I actually now really like that time. You know, it's all right to just sit down and do nothing. Like you can just sit on your bed and do nothing, but it's very rare that people do that. Um, so I've sort of learned to do that a bit more. And I think that's definitely calmed my mind down a bit. Um but yeah, I do miss it a bit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like being on the laptop or, you know, going on Instagram or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. If, if you're able to change that relationship in a way where it, your mind feels calmer, you know, that's that's quite a big benefit, I would say. That's no small thing. On your Instagram, one one of the things you say is adventure can be for everyone. And I'm, I just want to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, I always say like, you know, if these women could do this back then and like I can do it now in the old stuff then anyone can do anything, you know, you don't have to walk through the Himalaya with a chair on your back, like to have an adventure, you know, you can just go to the park. And actually when I was in my twenties, like going to the park and just like having a walk, that was like a big thing for me. Cause obviously I was like so panicky all the time. So I think a lot of the time in this adventure space, especially with a lot of the blokes, it, like they give this impression that you've got to be sort of macho and hard and you've got to really push yourself to the limit and you've got to get to the top and blah, blah, blah. And I just think that's just not, that's not right. Um, and I just want people to know that, you know, you don't have to be like that and you don't have to do big trips to have a bit of, you know, time in the outdoors. And especially here in London, like there's so little, you know, green space, I suppose, that going to the park's a good option. You, know, you can have a good little adventure in the park. Um, so yeah, I guess it's kind of saying that. And I think like we said earlier, you know, it's not, I don't do it in a very serious way. Um, again, to show, you know, you don't need, you don't have to have the best walking boots in the world to, you know, go on a hike. You don't need all that kit. So yeah, I think that's kind of it. I'm trying to sort of get that message across, I suppose. I love that so much. It's refreshing. <laughs> I think it speaks a lot to your character and just your approach to how you are not just doing these adventures, but how you're talking about them, you know, and just just sharing openly everything about it. And and messages like this, I think, are it's really important because you can sometimes think that, oh, we well, have to go conquer the thing or whatever to be considered a real traveler or real adventure on, on whatever level that means for you. And it's just like, it's just not cool. Like it's for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Know? Yeah. The post you had on Facebook where you were in the Alamut Valley. Oh yeah. The Alamut Valley. So that's the Valley of the Assassins. It's got two, two names. Um, so yeah, that was the recent trip we did. Yes. I, I want to hear more about that trip. But one one of the things you said in the post was, 
Well, you finished the post. Embrace your weirdness, you lovely lot. I feel like I certainly <laughs> am these days. Can you talk about embracing your weirdness, what that means to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, when I... So on that trip, I think Liv, we filmed it. So Liv was the director who was filming. And she said, please, has anyone ever said to you that actually this is a bit like you are quite eccentric? And I was like, I never thought about myself eccentric before. But... um. Then just watching that back, I mean, like, I look like Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> it's like, I try and keep everything authentic, but at the end of the day, I do kind of look like I'm in a costume. I was like, actually, maybe this is a bit eccentric. Like, maybe, maybe I am a bit weird. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's fine. And I like I it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm okay with that, you know. I think, you know, people have their Instagrams and they're looking lovely on the top of a mountain and that kind of thing. I think that's very realistic. So, yeah, I think that's what I mean. You know, you can if I can walk around like that, you know, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> there is something that feels good about embracing your eccentricities, I guess. You know, like I live in Norway and I'm I think I'm the only American that lives in my little neighborhood. So I kind of <laughs> I kind of like that, you know? It yeah. seems a little little different. Can you talk about visiting the Valley of the Assassins? Like what were some of the moments from that adventure that's like stood out to you kind of stick with you? Oh, it's such an incredible place, Iran. And I, obviously, I, I think it's the same for a few countries, but here in the UK, you know, it gets really bad, rightly so, you know, it gets bad media. But in terms of travel, it's a really like incredible place. So these mountains were, they're called the Albors Mountains. They're sort of completely untouched. Um, the guy told me that actually tourists haven't really been there since the before the revolution in the 70s. So we got there and it's like, not even a single piece of plastic anywhere, you know, just not, didn't see a single other tourist, only a few cars. I think that clip on Instagram, there's a car driving past, but yeah, it really was this incredible place with the most amazing walking. So it's basically, it's called the Valley of the Assassins because this really ancient sect used to live there. This was sort of in, you know, a thousand BC. It was a really long time ago and they sort of withstood history and became this sort of formidable set because they managed to keep it for so long um so actually the video game assassin's creed that's based on this sect of people you know they're still kind of really entwined into our day-to-day -day lives like their sort of legend lives on um so obviously freya stark went there to sort of map out their castles so she went there you know thousands of years after they were there but she kind of went to sort of research them she was a bit of an archaeologist as well and actually to map out the area. Um, so yeah, it's just got all this incredible history, this valley, and it's sort of in the middle of this incredible mountain range, you know, like white snowy peaks, and then it's sort of green pastures, and then this beautiful valley that's now full of sort of rice fields. Um, but it's got all this incredible history. Um, and I'd read that book like a few years ago. I was like, I need to go, like I need to go to this place. And it's not the easiest place to sort of travel to Iran if you're American or if you're British. It, it's a bit more complicated to get the visas and stuff, but it's perfectly possible. And actually, when you're there, like I've never been so welcomed anywhere. It was wonderful. Um, and yeah, it was just amazing to see that side of a place that I probably would have never gone to if it wasn't for this project. Um, but yeah, the actual valley and we stayed with families like all along the way. Obviously, Iranians are sort of known for their incredible hospitality, like incredible food. Um, so it was the most wonderful trip. I mean, it was tough, obviously, because I was in the old gear again. But it was like probably one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my life. 
wow. it's really special. How long was that yeah. whole trip for you? Um, like three weeks, yeah, just three okay. weeks in the end, because yeah. actually you can't stay much longer than that with a British passport. Um, so, but I think that was just about right. So we sort of got a good amount of sort of walking in and stuff. So yeah, it was really brilliant. And again, had like Nadia, who was the female guide, um, who was brilliant, kind of showed us the way. Um, yeah, it was a really special trip. And we actually, I had, I've got a first edition of Freya Stark's book and we had that with us and we'd find the same, the same photos that she had in the book. We'd actually see sort of in real life and it's not changed much at all um, since she was there. Um, but yeah, so it was really quite fascinating. There aren't many places you can say that about, right? Yeah, I think it's because <laughs> it was so, it was so remote and actually the people in the villages were telling me that actually people, they've got smaller because people have left to go to the cities. So actually the, yeah, it's, it's almost smaller than when she went, which again is super rare, you know, to come across something like that. So yeah, it was really fascinating. We'll be back in a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago, and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever zero to travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. I had not thought about asking this question until just now. This might sound a little weird. I don't know where you're at on like the woo-woo scale, but do you ever feel like the presence of these adventures of past like on your trips or when you come home or do they like infiltrate your dreams or something? I don't know. Yeah, I think, well, the thing is, when I'm doing the trips, I'm so, you know, I take their books with me. I'm reading it as I go. I'm so, yeah. I'm like immersed. Feel, You're totally immersed. Yeah. Mm. I never feel like I am them or anything. But yeah, I do sometimes when things happen, you know, I'm like, oh, like maybe that was a sign or something. I don't know. And there's like beautiful stars or, you know, an amazing sunset or something goes right. So quite often, like we're, you know, in Iran, we got, because no one's really hiked that area for a long time, we got all the distances wrong. 
things took eight hours instead of two. <laughs> we were just really, you know, we were just walking all day, every day. And then, you know, if it would, it would nearly rain, but then it wouldn't. And the sun would come out and be like, oh, that's a sign, you know, things like that. So in a way, yeah. Um, but I just think it's, yeah, I just think it's crazy that they were standing in pretty much the same spot that I am. And then I like to see how much things have changed. So, yeah, how different it might be culturally and sort of, yeah, in front of my eyes as well. What is the most adventurous thing you've ever done, would you say? It might not even be any of these adventures. I don't know. I, yeah. That's what maybe it's a, not a twi- not meant to be a trick question, but I'm just curious, like uh, just you now and what you've experienced, how you would answer that. I think it's that Iran trip because it's just no one had really been to that area before. Like, well, since some like, tourists don't just don't go there now. And it was a big thing. Like, you know, people were telling me, oh, you've got to be careful with all the cameras in the airport and all the microphones and all that. And they'll arrest you and all this stuff. And actually, you know, when the plane landed, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> what's going to happen? But and then, the, everyone at customs was like, welcome, welcome, guys. And yeah, I think it was just quite an overwhelming trip to organize because obviously I organize everything myself. I don't have a team that really helps me in that sense. They help me with the film and then the guides help me in the country. But terms of um yeah just organizing it it's just me so yeah I think that was probably probably the one are you doing this I mean it sounds like you've got some other things going on is this sort of becoming your full-time gig in a way if that I would be the dream that yeah okay that would be great kind of working um, towards that working towards that yeah and it does you know people do I've worked with a few brands now and like different things and I guess that's the way you can kind of make it work and the trips are usually sponsored by um so the last one was sponsored by Intrepid Travel and the North Face so that's kind of how I get the trips sort of to where I just get the sponsorship but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm sort of you know earning a living from it um so yeah I mean hopefully if the project still grows um yeah, that would be, yeah, that'd yeah. be the dream. What, what's been the most rewarding part of all of this for you up to this point? I think for me, it's just, like we said earlier, like I feel like I've got a bit of a purpose. Um, and I'm just happy, like I kind of find my happiness in it, I suppose. Um, so in that way, it's sort of rewarding. Um, and yeah, and just having having that special sort of thing that I do. I don't know. It's a hard question that. Um, and just feeling better in myself, I think, from it, you know, doing all these adventurous things and does make me sort of feel good in myself, I suppose. Yeah. How, do you think you've changed uh, in some profound ways from the time you first kind of re-stumbled upon this book to now? Like, how how have you, how would you say you've changed as a person? Yeah, it's a hard one. I mean, when I look back to like 16-year-old me, I'm like, oh my gosh. But I think you're always changing, you know, so I'm 32 now and I think, God, when I was 22, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. I was so lost. But then maybe when I'm 42, I'll look back and think the same. But I do feel right now, like I, I kind of know where I want my life to go, whereas before I just never really knew. So I think I'm just feeling a bit more confident and yeah, just better in myself. Yeah. I think. What do your friends and family think of all this? They love it. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, they you really got support. Love it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, loads. Of, even when I did the first one, and people were like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, everyone's really supportive and really excited. Like every time I do a trip, so yeah, it's really good. But I've always felt that way. Everyone's always supported me. Were, were you somebody that 
your family, for example, were they like, oh, yeah, that seems about right for her? Or like, were they like, oh, my, where's this coming from? <laughs> <laughs> I think a bit of both, a bit of both. I think they're a little confused at the first trip, you know, what it was all about. But as it's sort of grown, they can see, see where I'm headed, <laughs> I think, what the point and sort of what I get out of it, I think they can see as well. Um, but even like random people I've met and strangers, you know, I've made friends sort of online from this because people are so supportive. Like they really are. Um, yeah. So just, yeah. Amazing, really. That's so helpful to have the support. Part of your support circle, I feel like, are these women that are no longer with us in some way. Mm. You know? Yeah. Like, it's strange, isn't it? Yeah. It's <laughs> They're really with us cool. in spirit. Yeah. 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 I guess just want to hear some of your advice for anybody listening that's like, yeah, they, they maybe they want to break out and like do their own version of a thing. You know, what it doesn't matter the scale. And in, in my opinion, it feels like, you know, it doesn't have to be some grand thing like climbing Mount Everest or whatever, or um going on all these ventures in, in old school clothing like you're doing. But yeah, I mean, what advice do you have for for people that are kind of listening there, like, you know what, I'm ready to like kind of do something different. And and I also do want to incorporate travel into my life. Like, do you have some advice there? Yeah. I think when I was organizing the first trip, I'd be sitting there going, what am I doing? This is quite, this is silly, isn't it? This is silly. And just don't listen to that part of you. Just, you know, if there's something you want to do, just try and organize it and take it slow, you know, just try and organize it slowly and just don't listen to any of the negative things. You know, even if it's a really crazy idea, I think, you know, you can still, or, or a small idea, whatever. Um, just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty cliche, isn't it? Just go for it. But there's been so many times of this where I've been like, no, this is a bit weird. Like, what am I actually doing? What am I trying to achieve? And actually, you'll find maybe it comes after the trip that you sort of realise what you actually needed from it and why it's important. So, yeah, I think just just sort of don't listen to anyone. I mean, to be honest, people probably encourage you. So <laughs> that's what I've learned. Um, but yeah, just go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk a bit more about some of the charity tie-ins and Woman with Altitude and what what that's all about? Like kind of what's, yeah, what's next for you personally and also with the whole project? Yeah. So we, I always try and raise money for a women's charity each time we do a trip. Um, so the Scotland ones, we raised money for Scottish Women's Aid. And then we had a um, a charity called Freedom Kit Bags for the India one, which they sort of supply sort of reusable sanitary products for girls in rural parts of India. And yeah, I think it's just important, especially if you're traveling to a place, just to try and give like a little bit of something back. I mean, it is hard. It's hard to fundraise. And because I organize like everything myself, so not talking like huge amounts of money, but it's just nice to be able to give people the option to donate to something. Um, so yeah. And then I guess the project now we're, we're actually making a film from the Iran trip. So I've got an amazing team of women working on a film. So um, hopefully that will be done soon and then we can sort of enter it into film festivals and stuff. Um, and yeah. And then I've got a, a dream. My dream trip would be to, <laughs> following the footsteps of there's some African warrior queens and there's also some pirate queens and there's one pirate queen who is really really epic and I want to get a big group of women in an old gully boat 
and and row from Ireland up to Greenwich in London. So that would be the dream. Um, but yeah, I need quite a lot of sponsors. For that. <laughs> um, but that is like that would be the absolute dream to kind of take a group of women with me on one of the trips. Yeah. Um, so maybe we could start a bit smaller and then work our way to that one. Um, I love yeah, it. That would be amazing. You find that you're, as this goes on, your thinking has, in terms of like big thinking, it just gets bigger and bigger kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. That's what happens when you gain <laughs> yeah. some confidence, I think, and you start seeing something yeah. work. It's like, it's amazing how I think just big thinking can make such a difference in the things you end up doing, right? Yeah, like, you're right, yeah. And can also psych you out early on, right? If like, if it's too overwhelming in the beginning, it might be hard to make the first step, but yeah, I love it. I love it all. Is the film self-financed or? So that's the North Face that we work who have helped us with that. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of, I just write to brands and things before I go and try and get sponsorship for that. Um, Because it's super expensive this, you know, to make, yeah, to just do a trip on your own. I mean, yeah, it really like, (laughs) So, and that's the thing. I'm not only organizing the trip, you know, I'm trying to like get all the sponsorship money and organize and it's on the side of like other work. So yeah, it's, it's kind of nuts when yeah. I actually think about Bonkers. it. Um, but yeah, so amazing brands like North Face, you know, who do reply and like really want to be a part of it. It's really special. Um, and that, you know, that's amazing for me as well that they want to be part of it. So yeah, do you have some advice for people that are trying to solicit sponsorships or partnerships and things like that? What what have you seen work out? Yeah, so for me, so obviously Intrepid Travel as well, they've been amazing and they helped me with Nadia, like the female guide. And I think just finding brands that really align with your values and what you're trying to achieve. You know, if you're, I guess, just a really random example, if you want to do a canoe adventure, then obviously the brands you start with are anything to do with that sort of thing. Um, I find when I write to sort of, you know, I've written to a big, like big corporations to try and get, you know, no one ever replies. I found, um, yeah, sort of the more targeted you can be um, and write to their PR person rather than the marketing person. Because if you can get them some good PR, they're usually sort of happy to do it. Um, But yeah, I could do a whole podcast on sponsorship. (laughs) Maybe Maybe we will. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have to have you back on when the movie comes out because then we can see it and help spread the word. And yeah, anything else you want to promote here? Just let us know. Like, I don't know if you have an email list people can hop on or if you just want people to follow you on social or... Yeah, just the Instagram's great. Yeah. You want to share the... I'll I'll put it in the show notes, um, but... Yeah, so it's just women with altitude on Instagram. Yeah, you can follow me there. That's where I put my stuff. Cool. Uh, you have a favorite quote you want to leave us with, or anything like that? Ooh, um, there's one that always sticks with me, which is Alexandra David Neal. So she she said in like 1910, she said, "I vow to show what the will of a woman can do," and that always sticks in my head. That one. Yeah, I love that one. That, gave me, <laughs> that one gave me the chills. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, I, I love what you're doing. Oh, thank you. I think it's great just to further travel in such a unique way. And I think there are a lot of levels to what you're doing. It's the adventure and, and the travel and, and the exploration of culture and all the things we love. But it's also this uh, empowerment, I think, for, for everybody. And specifically, I think just bringing to life the female adventurers stories. And, you know, I have a daughter like these. Yeah. I think like a lot of these things that people do, like what you're doing and putting that out there, it matters. 
you know? So thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. (laughs) Appreciate it. And welcome back anytime. We'd love to do this in person sometime over a I drink coffee. I guess you drink tea because you're from England. I'm a tea drinker, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cup of tea. I'll go with a cup of tea. Yeah, definitely. If you're ever in London, come on over. And uh, let me know if you ever come through Norway and if I can ever help with anything. Amazing. Thank you. uh, Thanks. Thanks for your time today. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) There you have it. I want to thank Elise for her time. I loved our conversation. Hope you enjoyed it as well. I do want to share my big takeaway from this show in a few moments. This is one thing that could maybe alter your next travel experience, perhaps something worth experimenting with a travel math equation worth considering. First, let me share this voicemail I got from a listener. Hi, Jason. Uh, thanks for responding. Um, it's great that you're so forward with listener feedback. And uh, yes, I actually did have a question for you, if you don't mind. Uh, next year, uh, in the beginning of the year, I would say I'm uh, planning on visiting both uh, or all three of Prague, Budapest, and Vienna. And I have about 10 days. Uh, I know it's a short time limit, but I was wondering if you give me a suggestion on how I might break down those days. Uh, in terms of what might be a little more important or not important, but um, have more uh, to visit than others in that sense. So yes, some advice would be great. Thank you. That was Tej from New Hampshire, a fellow listener. Thanks for the question. And he also left me another voicemail asking for some more animal-related podcasts, perhaps a Galapagos Island episodes, if anybody knows Anybody who's an expert on the Galapagos, feel free to reach out. Doing my best to deliver. So anyway, I understand that he was asking for some specific destination recommendations on those three cities, things to see and do in those specific destinations. But I need to pull out and just kind of provide a few thoughts around how to break up a trip in general, because this is a very common sort of debate, right, as we're traveling. And it's very specific to the individual. So I know some of this might uh, be common sense, but sometimes it's just worth a reminder for for all of us here. First thing, I think, when you're looking at how to break up a 10-day trip specifically, or like, let's call it a shorter trip. You're not traveling for months at a time or a year or even three weeks. We're talking about like a week, 10 days. First thing you got is just like really be honest, I think, with your main interests, Right. And spend more time in the place that offers more of that. So kind of what feels fun to you? Because travel days are hungry little suckers. They love to eat into your trip. But of course, they can also be a part of the experience. So it really just depends on how you feel about them. Because when we start adding multiple destinations into a shorter trip, we we can't discount travel days. We have to think about them. And so when I think of an example near uh, my home, traveling to the West Coast, Uh, of Norway from Oslo to Bergen. That's a train ride that is iconic. It's gorgeous. So if you're traveling from Oslo to Bergen and you want to experience that train ride and that scenery, you're almost, even though that's technically a quote travel day, you're not really thinking about it as a travel day. It's really kind of part of your trip, right? So is your travel day something like that? Or is it something like 
you know, you're taking a sort of longish flight. You got to get up early. You have to wait in line at the airport. There's a stopover, something that's really going to be a drag. And and those are kind of like the two different types of travel days if you want to kind of group them out. So when you're looking at the travel days in between destinations on a shorter trip, what are those travel days? Are they sort of the the gut-wrenching travel days or are they the kind of travel days that are more... I guess, enjoyable. And it doesn't have to be an iconic train ride. You might, you know, enjoy taking the bus from point A to point B and it's not very far and and you're enjoying that and that's fine. Uh, A lot of that comes down to, you know, how much do you want to be moving around? So just some food for thought there around travel days. And I think just knowing your main interests and understanding if there is a region that uh, offers, let's say, multiple hikes you want to do and you know you only have time for a couple of them or maybe one, but you want to do more than one, then maybe you should stay in that destination longer or cut a destination out. This leads to my point number two, which is just avoiding FOMO up front. I think the struggle and the anxiety, if you will, can come from like the things that we're going to miss out on when we're planning, right? I, I am a big proponent of, for shorter trips like this, uh, really just listing the one or two things. You don't even have to list them. You just kind of know in your head. You know instinctively the one or two things you absolutely can't miss. A lot of times they might be the reason you're even going to that place in the first place, right? You're just like, I always dreamed about hiking to Machu Picchu. I mean, that was something I did in the early 2000s. I went to Peru for two weeks, but the main thing I wanted to do was hike Machu Picchu. So therefore, I allotted for more time in Cusco knowing it was going to take a little time to sort that out, to figure out, you know, the trip, maybe weather was going to be a factor and and all of those things. So I think just being really honest with the one or two things you absolutely can't miss and just locking them in, making sure, you know, those things are set because those are going to be the one or two things that make the entire trip worth it, right? And then everything else is just gravy and then you don't have the FOMO, right? You're like, hey, if I just do this one thing, it will all be worth it. And then anything else you do is just bonus, Right. And that, that way, you kind of like eliminate the FOMO thing. So really lock in on the one or two things you want to do. Make sure you plan for them. And and then just make sure they that, that you get to have those experiences that you want. And then the last thing is just planning for the weather. If it's going to be a factor, I mentioned the hiking. I remember taking a trip out to Kauai once. And you know, I was spending a month in Hawaii, so it was like, it was mostly like camping around and, and things like that. But then there was some hotel stuff here and there whenever I felt like super dirty get a hotel <laughs> shower up get cleaned up for a few days but you know trying to get on the Kalalau trail that is notorious for getting you know very slippery and, and dangerous it turned out we weren't able to do it uh, we had tried over two or three times I think at least two times to get out there and try to make it past those first couple miles but it was just too dangerous it was washed out it was just too dangerous but we, we gave ourselves enough time to at least try. So I felt, I didn't feel bad about that. You know, we ended up taking a boat trip and seeing it from the outside, but it was just too dangerous to walk on. And we stuck around long enough to, to try to make it happen, but it didn't happen. And that's okay. We planned for the weather. It didn't work out. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Now that can be hard to do on a 10 day trip, but if you know what your number one must see thing is, and the weather might be a factor. It's something to think about. So those are just three quick thoughts I wanted to share around how to break up a trip. You know, cities for me are an anytime destination 
a lot of indoor activities anyway. Of course, city parks are great, but I love just walking around the city, doing all the city things. And for me, I don't need great weather in the city. I mean, it's nice, it helps, but I love to hang in a city any time of the year. So those are just my thoughts on that. Thank you for the voicemail. By the way, if you want to get in touch, if you have any tips to share with the listening community here, maybe you've created something that can be helpful for them and I'm able to share it with people here on the show. This is a community-powered show, so I want to serve you all. So please get in touch, give me your recommendations, tips you want me to share, advice, anything like that, questions, whatever. You can leave me a voicemail or you can drop me a line. Jason at zero to travel.com is my email. I listen to all the voicemails, read all the emails. So get in touch anytime. Now, this last thing, this takeaway I want to share, I've been watching this documentary. I'm almost finished with it. It's called A Trip to Infinity. It's on Netflix right now, at least here in Norway. And IMDB sums it up here. It's the world's most modern scientists and mathematicians embark on a search for the infinite and its amazing effects on the universe. And this got me thinking about math and physics and the universe and all this stuff. Anyway, I was thinking about this episode. What am I going to say here to kind of wrap this up? What's a big takeaway that I can share? And something that just popped out to me was this idea of addition by subtraction. And what I mean by that is adding to your life or to your travel experience or whatever by taking something away. And in many ways, I see uh, what Elise has done here by taking away the modern conveniences, traveling with the old school gear from the era and everything like that that we talked about. It is creating a totally unique career path for her, a unique travel experience and giving people something to think about. And I just wonder in my life, what what are some ways I can create addition by subtraction? What are things I can take away that might add to my experience or to my life in some way? You know, what makes a great song or really anything oftentimes is not just the things they put in, but it's the things they leave out. They choose to leave out the notes they leave out, the instruments they leave out. And it's really about curation and it's about curating our lives. And we look at the things that we add in or take away. What are some of those things we can take away that add to our lives or to our travel experience in some way? So I don't have an answer for that, but it just got me thinking about math and travel and this episode Addition by subtraction. There you go. I'll leave you with that, and I'll also leave you with this quote. I'm not quite sure who said this. You can never trust the internet. I've seen this attributed to unknown. I've seen this attributed to Steve Maraboli. Not sure. Anyway, the quote is, happiness is not the absence of problems. It's the ability to deal with them. Love that. Thank you so very much for listening today being a part of this community your rock star peace and love to you and yours i'll see you next week cheers this podcast has been brought to you by zero to ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality